There's a line in every city that separates the rich from the poor, the strong from the weak, the haves from the have-nots. It's a street, the train tracks, a river, a sidewalk. It's time to cross the line. Serve the City is a global movement of volunteers showing kindness in personal ways to people in need. We are the connection between the good intentions and talents of people who could volunteer and a meaningful opportunity to get involved. Serve the City is for everyone. It's a revolution, a serving revolution. And it's going to change the world. Cross the line, serve the city. This is Serving Stories, a podcast by Serve the City. Hi, I'm your host, Ani Deal. Welcome to today's episode, where we cross the line in Chesapeake, Virginia, in the United States. Chesapeake is a mostly suburban town located on the east coast of the United States. Although named after the Chesapeake Bay, surprisingly, the town does not border it. But the Elizabeth River, a major waterway, flows through the middle of the city. And its tentacle creeks, as well as many canals, crisscross the entire area. In fact, if you drive around the city at all, you may have to wait in a line for one of the six large drawbridges to open and close for maritime traffic to pass. Chesapeake is simply full of bridges. And if you venture into some of Chesapeake's more disadvantaged neighborhoods during the hot month of June, you will find other kinds of bridges being built. Ones that have nothing to do with all the water in the city. We did everything from uh, painting, cutting grass, uh, removing overgrown, uh, you know, bushes, things like that. Uh, some of the more in-depth projects were, I uh, remember uh, one of the projects we replaced someone's floor in a trailer. Uh, we did some, some uh, installed some uh, light fixtures. Um, oh man, we, we repaired gutters. <laughs> you name it, we did those type of things. It's no surprise to find Serve the City volunteers doing practical projects like home repair and gardening. What is surprising is who these Chesapeake volunteers are. My name is Jason Banks. I'm a detective sergeant. Uh, I've been with the police department for 16 years. I work in the criminal investigation section. I supervise the special victims unit, um, the financial crimes unit, and the, unit, uh, the internet crimes against children unit. A large number of the volunteers repairing gutters, installing light fixtures, and whacking weeds in this neighborhood are police officers like Detective Sergeant Jason Banks. Uh, they got me out of my comfort zone when I was uh, working with Service City because I am not by any means a handy person. Uh, I don't know my way around a hammer or a ladder or any of those things, but I am a strong hard worker. Um, but my main uh, responsibility was organizing the officers to be a part of the project. So before the project was due to begin, I would start uh, getting officers, soliciting them, trying to encourage as many of them as possible to become a part of it and join us. If you've followed American news even a little over the past few years, you will know that the general image of police there has become rather tarnished. Incidents like the death of Freddie Gray in Baltimore police custody or shootings of young black men by white officers have given rise to both peaceful protests and violent riots. When you have a, 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 a situation where a citizen is killed or, and is shot and the police officer is involved, if you don't have a relationship built with that community, it can almost be too late to then go and try to, try to create a relationship with the community. You have to show them that you that you you are part of the community, that you're not there as a as a occupying force long before a tragedy happens. This is Major Tracy Branch, the officer in charge of the Serve the City partnership with the Chesapeake Police. My background is kind of interesting because it goes back a couple of generations. My uh, grandfather was a uh, sheriff's deputy in one of the outlining counties. My father was a U.S. Customs officer. I obviously am a police officer. My wife is a retired detective and I have two sons in law enforcement. So we're, we're definitely a law enforcement family. We asked Major Branch what he felt were the most important issues in the Chesapeake community. 
He said that although reducing crime will always be important for the police, for him, the main, main issue, issue is building trust. I think a lot of the things that have been said and, and have been broadcast about uh, police officers and police departments has been done with a broad brush. And I think that, that building, rebuilding that trust, I think is the main thing we're facing. Jim Dunlap, the captain of Chesapeake's 2nd Precinct, echoed the sentiment. When I took over at this precinct uh, in 2009, uh, crime was really high and we were having a lot of problems. Uh, the community itself was very agitated uh, in the, the way things were going. They weren't satisfied. They didn't feel like their voices were being heard. And so I pushed a community initiative to engage our community more, to listen more, to, and not just from me, but to get everybody in my organization out of my precinct, to get them to understand the needs of engaging our citizens and being part of the community as opposed to a separate entity just trying to solve crime. The bridges being built by police officers with paintbrushes are, as Major Branch points out, bridges of trust. But they are just one part of the partnership that is involved in this initiative. Serve the City in uh, the city of Chesapeake started kind of with an idea from one of my uh, fellow officers. One of our majors was Tony Torres. And we both at the time had the two busiest precincts, he in Greenbrier and me in South Norfolk. He had identified a whole community where there was some houses, some blight, some things that needed to be repaired. There was a lot of elderly uh, citizens there that really couldn't afford it. So he reached out to uh, some of the churches in uh, Greenbrier, some of the faith-based organizations, and they teamed and started our version of Serve the City. There it is, another bridge. This time an unlikely partnership between police and faith-based organizations. One of the pastors who came to that first meeting, Chris Williams, told us about it. We got a, a letter, a, a you know, standardized letter sent to probably a couple hundred churches here in Chesapeake. John and I went to the meeting, and it was at the precinct there, and there was probably 25 or so pastors there, something like that. Captain Torres, later on Major Torres, but he was describing wanting to work with the faith-based community to help us um, initiate things in the community that would help them turn things around. So somewhere in there, John and I kind of both leaned over at some point and said, he's talking about serve the city. The church where Chris Williams and his colleague John Hildebrand were pastors had just a year or so previously sent a team of people to be part of the very first Serve the City Big Volunteer Week in Brussels, Belgium in 2005. But at first, it had been hard for them to envision how they could transplant something like Serve the City from the urban context of Brussels to the suburban sprawl of Chesapeake. Now, with Captain Torres's invitation, they began to imagine what it might mean to serve their city. So maybe a week or two later, we got a hold of Captain Torres and invited him to, to go to lunch. They told him all about Serve the City, and he loved the idea. And Chris and John were not the only pastors who were excited by the idea of a joint initiative with the police. Pastor Durant Kreider had already been doing community work in one of the more difficult neighborhoods of the city. Well, the story begins a little bit before Serve the City actually took on a name. And when we came here 16 years ago, I had a heart to reach out to our community and we reached into one neighborhood and knew that this was going to be a long-term commitment. And so we started developing some partners and we were working and we were getting very tired because the work was just so incredibly overwhelming. It was not hard to understand why it was overwhelming when you hear what the neighborhood was like. So the community that we work in, it's called Harbor North, and it was very high uh, in crime. There were murders that were, were there. Pizza drivers were getting robbed on a regular basis. There were drugs. And uh, it had originally a community association that went bankrupt when somebody drowned in the, in the community pool. So the uh, community center was actually burned down by the people that lived there. And the police cars couldn't get through the roads because they were so, uh, so many potholes and they had no money to fix them. And it just was going from bad to worse. And so we looked at that and we said, how can we take this place where tr trash and rats were literally overrunning the streets and do something with it? 
No wonder Pastor Durant was glad to receive an invitation to meet the police with other pastors. Fifth Precinct captain called the pastors together and said, look, we have some issues in our community and we would like to talk about how do we solve these things. And so he began to show us pictures and talk about the broken window theory. Did you catch that last phrase? The, the police we talked to used that phrase quite a bit. The broken window theory. The broken windows theory. Broken windows theory. We asked Captain Mark Heckler, commander of the support section of the Chesapeake Police Department, to explain this broken windows theory. One of the major tenets of community policing is within the broken windows theory, where one window breaks, there will be another window broken, uh, gutters overflowing, grass growing tall, vehicles abandoned, and just an overall lack of care for the community. And when uh, the criminal element can tell that a community doesn't care, that's where they will feel more comfortable getting crime and crime waves and trades started. And, um, but where communities, where folks are out and about working in their community to try to keep it nice, um, keep it well lit and keep it protected, that criminal element's not gonna feel comfortable operating there, particularly when they can see that there is a partnership with the police and with other non-governmental organizations and particularly faith-based communities. This theory became widely known in the 1990s through the efforts of New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani to reduce crime in the city. In Chesapeake, implementing this theory has led to a greater cooperation between police and citizens as they participate together in caring for the community infrastructure. Captain Torres advocated for the broken windows theory at the meeting with the pastors. Pastor Durant Kreider recognized the pictures in his presentation as the neighborhood where he was trying to make a difference. He started showing us these pictures and I was like, yeah, that's in the neighborhood that we're working in, that's in the neighborhood we're working in. And finally, at the end of it, I, I just raised my hand and I said, you know, I understand these issues because we're working in that neighborhood, but we're, we're tired, we're weary. We don't, we don't have the support. Um, and so at the end of the meeting, um, one of the other pastors said to the police captain, can we go out to have lunch? And he brought up the idea of serve the city and so we got the group back together in a few weeks and rolled out the idea and everybody said, this is what we have to do. The partnerships of coming together is going to be what makes this a long-term sustainable community transformation movement. Captain Heckler talked about the impact volunteering in this neighborhood has made on new police officers in the department. And when I think about Serve the City, there's just so many lives uh, that it's touched. Um, and particularly uh, in Harbor North, which was just one of the areas um, where Serve the City's worked so well within the 5th Precinct in Chesapeake. It gave us the opportunity to expose officers to what um, community policing really was in practice. And for our officers to, while at the same time uh, the folks from the churches were out uh, surveying houses, you know, repairing uh, sagging floors, holes in roofs, broken windows, um, our officers were working right alongside them in some cases, and in other cases they were addressing issues of blight in the neighborhood, abandoned vehicles, overflowing dumpsters, and that sort of thing. And, and they were just really able to see, particularly for the newer officers that hadn't had a chance to actually see it in action, they'd been trained in it but hadn't actually participated and they were able to see how this whole thing comes together. Major Branch sees how the impact on the officers continues long after the yearly project is over. On a typical call for service, the officers are so busy, they go, they try to solve the problem, and then they're off to the next call for service. And it, it's been amazing watching them, the ones who have volunteered and gone into people's houses and sat down and, you know, eaten with the with the uh, the homeowner and, and and just get an opportunity to talk to them, see how thankful they were, how their impression of the uh, of of the community had kind of changed. In the first year, as volunteers went to difficult neighborhoods, they found that people weren't always so open to the police. Here's Pastor Durant on what that was like. Initially, when people heard that we were coming in with the police, uh, the children particularly would run and the adults would just hide inside. 
So the elderly were the first people to open their doors because when there was riffraff around, they were calling the police. The police didn't go out there alone. They came out, at least two officers and two cop cars. And it was the elderly that began to build bridges to some of the younger people. As part of Serve the City, the churches who are already working in some of these communities were also able to help build bridges of trust for the police. One of the big things we've learned with Serve the City is that trust is a huge piece. And the residents didn't trust the city, they didn't trust the police, but they trusted us because we were there on a regular basis and we knew them. And so we were leveraging the trust that we had with the people to build a bridge to the city and to the police officers. And as we built that bridge and then the people began to trust the city, the city was able to come in and then help legally get the rights to pave the streets and put the dumpsters in for the trash. And we saw churches coming together, doing what they do best, the city, the police department. And it's just a beautiful picture of, of long-term transformation. The police officers got a chance to see the neighborhoods where they worked through new eyes. But some of the volunteers who came from white suburban churches were seeing them for the first time. My name is Jay Benfonte. Uh, I got involved with Serve the City Chesapeake when I was 13 years old as a part of my church youth group. Um, now I am 24 years old, and I am still involved with Serve the City Chesapeake. Jay described to us what it was like to go into Crestwood as a teenager for that first time in 2007. It was probably the roughest neighborhood I had ever spent time in up to that point. Um, kind of the edge of um, what was what I knew as a part of my town. Uh, it was actually just like maybe two-tenths of a mile over an overpass from where I normally live my life, a road we drove on just to get on the highway to go anywhere else in our area um, was just so close, but I had never turned left and gone to Crestwood. Um, I lived in a nice suburban area um, with great parents who took care of me and, you know, not knowing that just a mile away there was this other community of um, very old houses, very damaged houses, mostly elderly um, in this area, and almost all African-American. Pastor Chris from Jay's Church recognized that there might be hurdles relating to this community with a bunch of white suburban volunteers. Um, the fact that we went around on Saturday mornings knocking on doors, handing out flyers, and why would they open the door? Who are you? We had people think that we were from the government or from the city because we even had t-shirts that said serve the city or badges or signs or something, name tags, that sounded too official. So there was a trust factor that we felt that right away. I remember realizing that, you know, this was going to be a new experience and we didn't have an easy way to connect. And we got a lot of folks who were polite, but you could tell they didn't trust us. Um, so it went well that first year. Um, I think probably better than we expected. Um, but I wouldn't say it was until the second or third year when they, when they began to realize these people are back. And yes, that's a good question. Why are these people doing these things? Is it just a chance to congratulate themselves that they've done their good deed and then turn their backs again? Or are they here because they really want to invest in the community? Major Tracy Branch addressed this too. One of the things we, we established early on, that we didn't want a photo op program. We didn't want a program where we just came out and gave kids, you know, candy or cut somebody's grass and then wanted them to come out and take a picture with us for the newspaper. That's not what this program's about. And I think that really caused some of the churches uh, alongside of us, the police department, to really commit to those communities. Because once we established those relationships, they were expecting to see us again. Commitment has been demonstrated by working hard and by coming back to do it again and again. Second Precinct Captain Jim Dunlap talks about taking his son along to serve every year. I had got my son, uh, who was in middle school at the time, to come out and help. So every year he, I would bring him with me and we would go out and help. And I remember uh, one of the houses we went into, we were going to fix the floor. 
Uh, we were going to replace some tiling and try to put new tiling. When we got into the house, it was a little bit more than just the tiling. The floor had been rotted out. Uh, there was some mold and things in the house, so it was quite a project. And I remember, you know, going in there and actually helping this man with getting a floor that wasn't about to fall through back in his house. It was quite a project. Very hot, no air conditioning in these in this trailer. And uh, I remember my son and I working together to help out with that project. And uh, you know, the satisfaction the, uh, my son had um, from watching the guy's reaction to his new house. And uh, it was quite dramatic. And you've got to be committed to serving when you're facing Virginia's humid summer heat. It was well over 100 degrees. It is the hottest week of the summer, guaranteed. Coastal Virginia is not a fun place to be in the summertime. And um, <laughs> I mean, everyone's disgusting, head to toe, sweat. Like, it's, it's, it's not a place you want to be out uh, painting chain link fences in the summertime. But we drank lots of water and I mean, we, we loved it. Like, from like a kid's experience. Jay Benfante was one volunteer you just couldn't keep away, even as a kid. I probably wanted to be a part of Serve the City more than most of the leaders around me wanted to be after the first year. I have a terrible poison ivy allergy um, and they would throw me on these yard teams and I would go rip down brush off of trees and off of fences and just get into it. Shorts and a t-shirt. They said wear pants, wear long sleeves. I was 14. I didn't care. Um, and I would just get covered head to toe in poison ivy every year for the first maybe four or five years of Serve the City. And I'm like, no, Jay, you're not allowed to be on this project anymore. And I would like sneak over to a yard team and start tearing down a brush off of fences again. Uh, so I Serve the City, which was one of my favorite weeks of the year, usually ended in three weeks of uh, some misery to follow, but there was never any regrets on my part, um, maybe just on the part of my parents and the, the hospital deductibles and these sort of things. But then, what's more fun than getting poison ivy in the blazing hot sun with a whole bunch of your friends while staying together all week in the same house? Yeah, we loved it. I really do give credit to my church youth group for this one. Um, they put us all up in a house together for the week. Um, and, uh, you know, one of one of my friend's parents hosted us and 14, 15 young teenagers literally took over. Um, and we stayed in this house for a week, um, traveling from um, this house, you know, a couple miles down the road to Crestwood and then coming back and spending two hours trying to get everybody through the shower and then doing it all over again. Um, it really was just one of the most fun weeks of the year for me and my friends at that point. And meanwhile, Jay's involvement in volunteering was changing his life without him knowing it. Oh man, I'm, I am, I really believe it formed the way I live my life today with no hyperbole. Like, I just realized that this is a part of being human. Actually serving really did uh, form the way I live my life and uh, that began mowing grass and painting chain link fences in a, a community called Crestwood in Chesapeake. At first, it might seem like a strange partnership, city police and local churches. We asked some of the police if they thought so. Captain Heckler didn't. Honestly, I really don't think police and churches are an odd combination. I think they're actually uh, a natural combination because we're, we're in the business of, of helping people and changing and improving lives and improving the quality of life for everyone. And in a sense, churches are doing the same thing. Um, if we're all in the, the business of helping people, how could we not have a positive outcome? Pastor Durant addressed the same question from the church side of things. So I think it's really a symbiotic relationship. And when you look at synergy, you know, you may have one horse that can pull 5,000 pounds and you partner with another horse that alone could pull 5,000 pounds, but together they pull 20,000 pounds. And that's the way I see the church and the city working together. 
Detective Sergeant Banks had another viewpoint to add on this unusual partnership. Well, I, I can bring a unique perspective to that because not only am I a police officer, but I'm a pastor myself. And, and I'm going to tell you, uh, police officers do a lot of pastoral work in their own daily assignments. Um, we do a lot of counseling. We do a lot of helping people. It's not what a lot of people think. It's not just what you see on TV. The majority of the police officer's day is filled with listening to people, talking to people, counseling people, uh, trying to help people, point them to the resources that are available. And so partnering with the, uh, the faith-based community is really just a natural thing for law enforcement. One of the aspects that makes this partnership valuable is that it is attempting to build another bridge that desperately needs to be built in the U.S. today, working together across racial lines. In each neighborhood Serve the City works in, white churches and black churches are paired as partners for that neighborhood to reach out together. What does it mean to, 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 to bring white churches and black churches? This is the great thing about Serve the City. There was no barrier between uh, denomination, race of church. We had church, we had all sorts of denominations of people working with us. I met pastors who, some were white, some were black, some were uh, Asian, Latino. The denominations and the racial barrier was just had no existence and served the city and that's what I loved about it. It was just a group of people coming together. We didn't care about the race of the person whose house we were working on. Nobody cared about what denomination you were. Nobody cared if you were a police officer. We were all just working together trying to get this project done because we wanted to try to affect change in people's lives. One of the newer additions to the Serve the City team is a young pastor named Jonathan Foster. Yes, brand new with Serve the City. Um, as they would say, still got milk on my breath, excited um, about this moment. Um, I received a letter from the police department asking um, that I would come to an interest meeting and I went and saw a bunch of police officers and pastors in one room and I thought, wow, police officers and pastors in one room, why not? Pastor Jonathan believes that at 29, he is the youngest pastor in the city. He's excited about the bridges that are being built, the lines being crossed. Well, um, the line that I am most grateful about being crossed is the ethnicity line. I think Chesapeake is predominantly white. I think that's what the um, statistics are. And so the fact that blacks and whites, and then I think we have some Asians um, in the room, that's really that, that's big because at the same time when you look at the church and the government in fact our nation right now it's still racially divided and so the fact that we're able to cross those lines and those barriers i mean it's a big deal it is a very big deal this isn't just a big deal for him as a national issue it's a big deal for him personally when I was coming up, we ran from the police. <laughs> it's like, no, we, we see blue lights, we go the other way, we act like we got something to do. We still have the stigma of um, it's crooked cops. Um, and so I think that the church has a major responsibility to spearhead changes like that. It's only a matter of time, and, and of course we don't like to think about moments like this, but it's only a matter of time before a catastrophe hits our city. Um, we've seen it happen across the nation. Um, so many times a police officer shoots an innocent black guy or you know, somebody goes crazy and something happens. Um, and I think that if we can be progressive in building relationships when those moments happen, it won't be so hard to heal the city. Pastor Chris told us a story about how their partnership with an African-American church in the Crestwood neighborhood enabled them to help an elderly lady they knew as Miss Inez. You know, the first year we didn't even know where to go. And so fortunately we were paired up with another church um, that had some roots and history in that community. And so I happened to be paired up with, a, with a, a woman who lived not too far from there and she knew some of these people by name. So she um, would say, let's go to this house, let's go to that house. And so she had some intentionality behind all of that. And so she took me to a house, uh, Miss Inez's house, and um, the doors were, were locked, both the regular door and the storm door. And she knocked in and said, Miss Inez, it's, it's me. And she gave her a name and, and Miss Inez opened the door. And we went inside. And um, uh, Miss Inez was, you know, a little shy at first, um, but very gentle woman, uh, elderly in her late, mid to late 80s at the time. And she let us in, was very sweet. Um, when she found out we were 
I was from one church that she didn't know, but she knew the other woman from her church. She was very welcoming at that point. When Miss Inez allowed Pastor Chris and fellow volunteer Evelyn into her home, they found that the interior roof tiles were disintegrating and falling down. Not only that, they were falling right on top of her central heating unit, which was in the middle of the living room. Miss Inez was afraid that this might start a fire, and she told her visitors that she had just been praying that it could somehow be fixed. She had no money, she was fixed income. I can't fix my roof, I can't. things are falling on top of my furnace, what if it starts on fire in the middle of the night? And so uh, we told her we, could, we would take care of it. The Serve the City team came and fixed Miss Inez's roof that year, and then they kept coming back to fix more things for her each year, making her broken down house into a real home. What really hit me though, um, when we left is, this other gal, Evelyn, told me afterwards, she said, um, Miss Inez, um, I wasn't sure if she was going to let you in because you're a man and you're white um, and, you know, you're, you're kind of an outsider. Um, and she was recently attacked in her home. Someone had crawled through a window in the middle of the night and attacked her and um, was there through the night. Um, and that's a whole other story. But who would let a strange man into their house, you know, after that happened? So I've gotten to know Miss Inez quite well over the years, and she later on had to go testify in court, and, and that, that man turns out he'd done that to three different elderly women in that neighborhood over the last year, and the police eventually caught him. Um, but that she would let us in was amazing. So I still love to go back and visit Miss Inez, and uh, she's a brave woman, and uh, she's been through a lot. My name is Reginald Smith. I'm the pastor of Prince of Peace Praise Center. Um, I'm the chaplain of the 2nd Precinct of Chesapeake Police Department. Um, so it's just been a blessing to serve people. He tells us that on his first project with Serve the City, he didn't know what to expect from working with the police. He was pretty nervous. And I really didn't know what to expect. I really didn't know what to expect. Um, but when we was actually out serving, um, it was like the badges went inside of their pockets. Um, the police guns was inside of their cars. And everybody um, came to, together to bridge the gap. We all became one team. Pastor Reggie described to us how through his work with Serve the City, he eventually ended up serving the police as a chaplain and expressed his hopes for building bridges between the police and community. This is what I hope that, that the community and the police department can, can work together some way, somehow. And I think serving the city, uh, the community seeing the police actually, actually with a shovel or a hammer or a drill, um, it, it can get in somebody's mind that they are people just like us, that they are people just like us, that beyond the badge and the, the uniform, that the police have, have a family, have a daughter, a son. Pastor Reggie certainly wants to do his part in breaking down those barriers between police and the people in his church. I preach a lot of, about that um, in my church, um, that, that we have to respect the police officers. Actually, during Serve the City, um, I have actually had two police officers to come to the church and preach and gave them a chance to, to, to see that a police just don't uh, uh, um, arrest people, but, but they arrest uh, the devil too. And this dream of connection is actually coming true. Major Branch again. I've seen children who would have never come up to a police officer because it wouldn't have been the cool thing to do. Now it, you can see that they don't care if those other kids want them to or not. They come over every time they see you. And that's, there can be nothing more transformational than that for me than to watch the look on that, that, that child's face that he's no longer, it's no longer a stigma in his mind because he knows that officer is a good person. Mike Cole, captain of the 5th Precinct where the neighborhoods of Harbor North and Crestwood are located, told us one of his great memories. During Serve the City, I uh, worked an evening shift and went out to one of our communities and they were playing kickball uh, with, the, with the youth and the adults all together on the same team. And I was in uniform and got in line and got myself on a team and we played kickball and I saw 
transformation with my own eyes where at one time that community did not think favorably of law enforcement. I remember those days. And it always had always been my vision to try to change that through positive action reinforced in, in time and time again. And so seeing those, uh, the youth participate in that game of kickball, uh, being excited about having us on their team, something as simple as the fist bumps, the coming up, engaging in us, with us in conversation, um, close enough that they felt like those barriers had been been reduced or eliminated or, or pulled down. That to me will always be in the forefront of my mind that that is true transformation. And there's one particular picture that I remember in my mind of an officer walking down the street, holding the hand of about a five-year-old boy, walking up the street to his police car. And I just saw such a difference in a few years, maybe, maybe four years, five years. And another memorable piece on that was we were cleaning out the storm sewers and we found a a, a gun clip and uh, immediately the the young boys from the community that I was working with uh, saw the gun clip and they said we need to go tell the community policing officer we need to give this to him and it was the first time that I recognized now they see the police officer as their friend as opposed to 5050, we got to get out of here. We got to hide. The cops are coming. And I knew at that point that we had made significant strides in long term transformation because it was the kids now that were saying, hey, we can have relationship and we trust the law enforcement. Remember the premise of the broken windows theory? That when neighbors work together in their neighborhoods and show the criminals that someone cares, crime goes down? Well, you might guess what happened. Jim Dunlap, the second precinct captain, tells us all about it. We as the police organization can't solve all their problems because we have a limited number of eyes and we have a limited number of areas that we can see at the time. But with their help, they act as a force multiplier in allowing everything to be seen and to be able to bring those things to our attention quicker which helps them in turn to improve the quality of life, to decrease the level of crime. And just to give you an example, uh, since 2009, uh, the entire area of the 2nd Precinct has gone down uh, over 28% in, in crime. That's tremendous. A 28% drop in crime in the entire area of his precinct. That is tremendous. And, and the effects of that are far-reaching. You know, you have people uh, walking their children in strollers, pushing them in strollers in areas you would never have seen a mother walking their kids for fun. Uh, it's, so it, has, it really has had a big impact. Part of that has certainly been serve the city and getting the police more in tuned with being part of the solution and not just arresting bad guys. Uh, so for us uh, in law enforcement, uh, Serve the City has played a vital role in helping build bridges that had not been uh, given the proper amount of t attention in the past. And if you think the impact on crime in the 2nd Precinct was big, listen to what happened in the 5th Precinct in the Harbor North neighborhood Pastor Durant described for us earlier. So the very first year that Harbor North um, Serve the City got started, we showed up um, and just began to serve, made friends in the community, uh, mowed lawns, fixed roofs, wiped windows, all of this sort of thing. And within one year, um, the police involved as well, doing this sort of community policing alongside uh, everyone serving. Um, we watched within one year from the first big volunteer week to the second big volunteer week, a 72% drop in crime. And everybody was like, oh, this is a really good idea. A 72% drop in crime. A good idea indeed. It's a big change from the first year of the project, when police felt that they had to stand guard in case the volunteers' tools were stolen. And there have been a whole lot of other changes as well. Yeah, so in a Harbor North neighborhood, we've, we've seen the, the trash taken care of. We've seen the streets paved. 
the city's put a park in that in a in the area that was completely vacant we're now pioneering an after school program there and have an agreement with the city to lease the uh, some of the park area and put up a community center to be used for that purpose there's uh there's really hope in people's lives when you even walk the streets that are now a lot safer than they used to be and i remember the days when I would have to lock every single tool every single time. And now, quite honestly, maybe it's foolish, but I leave my truck open, all of my tools are there. I send kids from the neighborhood to get tools out of my truck. And I have no thought that any of them are gonna walk away with any of my stuff, which is unheard of just a few years ago. And I just love that. I love seeing people being transformed and a community not only looking different, but knowing that the people are different. People are different. That's the biggest change. It's not just the old houses or the roads or the rats or the trash. Building these bridges has had an impact on the people involved. The police who worked on people's rotted floors. The volunteers who made contact with people different from them. But it has also changed the lives of individuals living in the neighborhood. Jay Benfante and Pastor Chris Williams told us the story of one lady who saw transformation not just in her home, but also in her own heart. So there was this one house in Crestwood that seemed pretty rough from the outside. We had no answer at this one house. Kind of during that first volunteer week, uh, we were like, "What is what is going on with this house? Is there is there someone living here? What's going on?" Um, so they they actually went a second time and knocked and there was a lady inside um, She would not let anyone in her house um, I don't think she was unkind, but she she definitely wasn't interested in having anyone uh, kind of in her home okay, So Erica who was our administrative kind of assistant went over there and uh, knocked on the door and uh, and got her to open the door again and said, look, I'm going to get fired if you don't let him in. At least let us help you in some way. And uh, she let Eric in. She was able to look inside her house. Um, her door was uh, had like a hole in, in, the, in the top of it of some sort. Um, and water would leak in and actually fill her hallway whenever it rained. So even just a foot into the door, the floor was sagging and falling apart and it was, it was pretty bad. And so we did something very minimal. But by even working around the door that year, we could see into the kitchen. And, the, and, I, and I walked around the house, and, and I realized that she didn't have any running water. Because the pipes had rusted out, the water had been turned off inside the house. Um, and so she was actually going outside the house, using an outside spigot to fill up her bucket and then wash in the, in the bathroom sink. There was food and debris around the kitchen. The sink wasn't being used. The, the floor was rotting in the kitchen. And then the next year we went back and convinced her to let us help her work in the kitchen. So we repaired the, the leaks under the floor in the kitchen and figure out why there wasn't any water coming into the kitchen. And so we got her kitchen working, as I recall, the second year. Fast forward to the third year, right? We go and knock on Brenda's door again. And we say, hey, Brenda, like we're back. Um, green shirts, you remember us. Um, and again, she let Erica into her house. Um, they became friends this year. And then the third year, I think, that we worked in her house, we realized that um, she wasn't using the bathroom, couldn't use it. And so we were able to tear out part of the shower stall and fix the leaks behind the wall there and give her a shower that worked. And I'll never forget this. She, she um, lived in the house, but her brother actually owned it. It was, a, it was a house she grew up in and he knew of all the problems and he was technically responsible for them, but he didn't have the money to get them fixed either. So she called up her brother and said, guess what I'm getting ready to do? And he said, what? So I'm getting ready to take a shower in, in the bathroom. And he said, no, you're not. That's impossible. She said, these people came around and they fixed my shower. It works now. We could use the bathroom. He could not believe it. So he actually comes over. He lives somewhere else in the neighborhood and uh, it's like, wait, what is going on? What your shower's working? And and uh, and uh, he's just overwhelmed, just almost confused. Why? Who fixed her shower? Erica continued going back to visit Brenda during the year, not just to help her out, but also to build a friendship. She continued to meet one-on-one -on -one with her, and eventually began to see Brenda softening. Brenda did not trust us. Brenda was a 
was an angry person in many ways, um, you also began to realize that Brenda had, had made her own bed that she was sleeping in, so to speak. She had done a lot of these things and, and really couldn't justify it, wasn't proud of it, and was ashamed of it, probably. Erica and other volunteers were committed to befriending Brenda. They even helped her address some of her personal issues. But they also continued to work on her house, and through doing that, uncovered some of the roots of her struggles. Probably the biggest breakthrough with Brenda was about the fourth year or so. It was a two-bedroom house. We cleaned up a little bit um, in, her, in her master bedroom one year, um, but we, um, there was a room she never wanted us to go in, and the door was closed. And um, eventually she told us that's the room that she lived in when she was a child. And, and she alluded to the things that happened in that room to her at the hand of her, her, I think her stepfather, if I recall correctly. But during the week of Serve the City, this particular year, she said, I'm ready for you to go into that room. I just want you to get rid of everything that's in that room. So we brought her to our command post and she helped out there for that day. And we just pulled a truck up and um, just emptied out the room. After this, there was a transformation in Brenda as a person. And then forever, from then on, Brenda was on our team, our planning team. She helped us get ready every year. She sit at our command post. Brenda ended up joining um, the administrative team for, uh, for uh, Serve the City Crestwood in Chesapeake. And uh, she was dealing with, with home care. She, she was actually interfacing with the other homeowners, her neighbors, and saying, look, look what look what happened in my house, look at me, like these people really want to serve you. And she was worshiping here, you know, one of two or three African-Americans in our church congregation. But she would worship here. And then uh, she moved away for about a year and a half, and then she had some health conditions. She fell, and she actually passed away while she was in that other city. In spite of the fact that she had relocated, Brenda's brother insisted that the memorial service be held in the Chesapeake church she had become a part of. So if you look out in the room, it was about 50% African-American, her family and friends from her childhood, about 50% people from our church who didn't have a long history with her, but knew her. And many good things were shared that day about, about the reconciliation that even, that even represented for Brenda personally with her creator, uh, Brenda with her neighbors in some cases. Brenda was in the community reaching out to people that she had once said, had written her off, and so she was kind of a, a, a force, you know, within the community. And then it just, the reconciliation was demonstrated by the a, a memorial service that had people from different faith backgrounds all doing that together. The bridges being built by Serve the City Chesapeake are every bit as important as the many that span the Elizabeth River. More, perhaps, because they are bridges across the lines at the very heart of current American society. There is now a bridge between community and police. Chesapeake police have won national awards for their community policing in the last few years. The FBI has commended them. And Chesapeake police, like Captain Mark Heckler, have been recommending this model to other police departments worldwide. And I cannot think of a program that is more representative of building trust, involving community stakeholders, to have a successful outcome in building trust. Where those partnerships exist, we have the best opportunity for success in improving the quality of life and reducing fear of crime in, in our most challenged communities. And it doesn't matter where it is in the world, I would think that would work anywhere. But there is also the bridge of racial reconciliation in a deeply divided country. Pastor Reggie Smith read out to us a statement he wrote about the bridges he hopes to see built. In obedience to God, racial reconciliation is a commitment to building cross-cultural relationships of forgiveness, repentance, love, and hope that result in walking in beauty with one another and God. This is my own thoughts and my own feelings in my heart. Somebody have to bridge the gap. And the youngest pastor in Chesapeake, Jonathan Foster, expressed his own vision as well. I think serve this city literally is going to birth a movement across the nation. But I believe because of the officers around the table and because of the pastors around the table that this movement is certainly going to help merge what's divided 
and help mend what is broken. And I'm certainly looking forward to being a part of it. I'm excited about it. 29 years old, as I said before, when I was coming up, we ran from the police. But now to sit at the table with police about how we can not just catch bad guys, but how we can serve those who are broken spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, I'm here for it. And I'm excited about it. I'm sitting here with Carlton Deal, CEO of Serve the City International. Hi, Carlton. Hi. I wanted to know, now that you've heard these amazing stories about Serve the City in Chesapeake, Virginia, what was, uh, what stuck with you? What came up for you? Yeah, um, really the first thing that impressed me is that it's it's my hometown. You know, I, uh, I grew up just uh, the next city over, Norfolk, but uh, my father grew up in Chesapeake. His parents were in Chesapeake. Um, yeah, I just, I know that town really well. And also I remember the, the team from Chesapeake when they first came to our big volunteer week in Brussels and how when they got back to their city, they thought this is impossible, like this doesn't fit in any way in our town. And then this story about the police coming to them and really the amazing transformation that's taken place. I've been to the police offices. I, I, I know some of those police officers. Um, I've actually gotten on the phone with them and uh, some people in Ferguson, Missouri, um, when there were some uh, racial instances in Ferguson because the Chesapeake police continually say, you know, we'll talk to anybody. Anybody in America, we'll tell them, other police forces, we'll tell them about Serve the City and this partnership. And uh, in fact, they have started Serve the City uh, in uh, a nearby town, uh, Newport News. Um, and, and in fact, uh, have helped start Serve the City um, overseas in a country that uh, will be featured on a later podcast, I'm told. That's amazing. It's wonderful to hear about how these values are spreading across the world, both near and far. And speaking of values, uh, Serve the City has certain values that we hold dear. Which one of these values comes up for you in the stories about Chesapeake? Mm. Yeah, I, the value that uh, really stuck out to me is courage. Um, and I first say that because, I, I don't know, just thinking about working the, with the police full stop just, I think, requires some courage, you know? I mean, the police, uh, they can be, it can be intimidating, right? Like, uh, we're all afraid that we speed too much or done something wrong and you know then to interact with the police I mean it's it's that's a bit of a, and then the police themselves have incredible courage um, you know on a day after day basis um, but also the uh, the home repairs I mean on one level when you think about home repairs you think okay great there's a house that needs a new coat of paint or you know a new flooring or something like that but no I mean these people have opened their homes to strangers you know and like the story about Brenda where you know this back room that she never let anybody in she let these volunteers in to clean refresh and it was her way of saying my life is now open like I'm putting that past behind me so incredible courage on her part too. Absolutely. Courage is a very important uh, value that we see played out mm. in this episode. Thank mm. you for sharing. Mm. Thanks for joining us today on Serving Stories in Chesapeake. I have been your host, Ani Deal. Serving Stories today was written and produced by Shannon Deal. Original music and technical production by Parker Deal. Designed by Jeremy Malengro. Join us next time on Serving Stories when we travel to Berlin, Germany to find out how creativity and especially dance are helping volunteers reach out to people with needs. Keep on serving and telling your stories. And if you want to find out more about Serve the City and how to get involved in a project near you, go to servethecity.net. <laughs>